Good morning. So today we are, am I supposed to come up now? Okay, good, good. It's the details that sometimes can escape me. So um, this morning we are in the second week of a teaching series here at Covenant where we are asking various questions of our faith, letting questions guide us. Uh, questions are really important. They're questions uh, that help us to investigate and explore, to dive deeper, to discover about ourselves and what we believe. And sometimes questions can be things that uh, I often see folks, uh, 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 Christians, who can take the idea that somehow we need to try to protect our faith from really hard questions, right? Like our faith can't stand up in the face of those questions. Um, but that, that is a, a kind of a tragic way to go. Because what we believe, or at least what we profess, is that Christianity is truth. Not a truth, not a suggestion, but it is truth. And if something is true and it can't stand up to hard questions, then we have a lot of trouble. We need to be able to ask the hard questions of life and of faith. And it's important to understand that the Bible doesn't spare its own faith hard questions. The Bible is filled with really difficult questions that all of us wrestle with. And it's in asking those questions and investigating that we learn, that we grow, that we explore. And so that's what we're doing in this series, seeking to learn and grow and explore about what God is doing in our lives and what we're about and what our faith is about through these questions, okay? The question we're going to be looking at today comes from Exodus chapter 17, and it is one of those questions that is at the very heart uh, of what many of us wrestle with. And if you uh, think about it in your life, I promise you that you have wrestled with this. Maybe many of us are wrestling today as we walk in here with this question. And all of us are guaranteed, if we're honest, to be wrestling with it in the future. The question is from Exodus 17, starting in verse 1. Listen now to God's word to us today. From the wilderness of sin, which sounds like a really fun place. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders because of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask this day that you would be with us in this question. Lead and guide us all, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys, so again, this question is central in each of our stories, and it will be. And we have all wrestled with it in some way, in some form. And you might phrase this question differently. The translation and the language might be a little different than how you would say it today. But the question is as penetrating now as it was thousands of years ago. Is the Lord actually among us or not? 
Because you see, it can be one thing when we come to worship and we sing and we pray and we kind of have these uh, moments uh, when things are good and, you know, and it makes sense and life makes sense and faith makes sense and we go forward. It's a different thing at times when we are going through times that are so painful, where we feel lost, where we feel abandoned, where life and suffering and hardship are real, to then sit there and say, this is just what we believe. It's at those moments that many of us ask the question in our own language, is God actually here or not? Is God actually real or not? Is this actually happening? If God's so good, how can this be what my life looks like today? If God's so real and God has a wonderful plan for my life, how is it that this is where things are today? Is God actually among us, the people say, or not? And we have to place ourselves back in that time because even though we hear people that are uh, thirsty, it's not that they were just kind of a spoiled little group of people. It's not like they were sitting out there going, you know, I wanted Perrier and sparkling water and all they had was tap water, right? It's not that. They are in northeastern Egypt. And if you go there right now, today, the chances are it's going to be really hot and really arid and there's going to be very little to drink. And their lives are on the line here. Their lives, their children, their livestock, their livelihood, everything is based upon them finding water and they are in a desert with nothing. It's the right time if you're going to have that question bubble up as it does in each of our lives when people will naturally say, is the Lord actually among us or not? How do we think about that? Well, of course, what we see in the scriptures is that God is with the people, that God is with us in our times of struggle and hardship and pain and suffering. And the evidence for that is found in our lives. The evidence is actually found in each of your stories. If you stop and think about it, uh, it, what's, what's hard in a moment is when we are in this hard moment, it feels like everything's lost and everything hinges on this because our view becomes very, very narrow. But one of the things that Moses is doing here and that God is doing when Moses renames these places is God is trying to create a memory for the people. He's trying to create and expand their vision again. In essence, these places are renamed. This is where God test, we tested God because Moses wants them to develop a kind of memory so that as they go forward again and as hardship and difficulty strikes again, their viewpoint doesn't get narrow, Right? That they're expanded and to think, as we, do in our, as we need to do in our lives, this is not the first time we've faced hardship. This is not the first time we've faced difficulty. One of the spiritual disciplines when we're going through a hard time is to expand our view because our view really gets very narrowly focused on the thing that's hard. And one of the things that we see here is that God is not sitting there with the people when they ask this question going, what are we to drink? God is not sitting there in that moment going, oh my gosh, I don't know. I forgot the water, right? I brought you out of Egypt and I brought you out of slavery and all this stuff happened and then you came through the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army followed you and the waters came in on Pharaoh's army and delivered you out there. I thought of all of that. I was prepared for it. I just overlooked the water. God hasn't brought the people to this point just to drop them here. But what happens when our viewpoint, when we suffer, is our viewpoint becomes very narrow, right? We zone in on that, and then we can just get into despair, almost going, well, I just don't know how this is going to work out. The evidence for how God is with us is in each of our stories. 
If you are walking a difficult path today or when you do again, one of the most important things is to begin sharing your story with each other. To begin remembering the times of this is not the first time we have gone through hard times. This is not the first time we've experienced questioning. This is not the first time we've said, how can God let this happen? And we need to become really good right now at expanding our view and remembering and sharing and telling our stories with each other of where we've gone through hard times before. Moses renames these places so that the people will have something to point back at in the future and go, we've seen and needed God to show up before. We've asked the question, if God's so real, is he actually with us? And the answer is yes. And the answer is found in each of our stories as well. We are people of hope. We are people of Easter. We are people of the resurrection. And it's dangerous to kind of look at the Old Testament and then jump to the New Testament for answers. But when it comes to the question of suffering and hardship, it's actually a really good thing to do. We are followers of Jesus. And the, the, the most important moment in world history, what we believe, is on the cross. That the cross is the defining moment in all of history. And on the cross, what we see is that God himself is not a stranger to pain and suffering and hardship. It's not a journey that God's watching us walk and going, well, I hope that you're able to remember and get through this, that on the cross we see that God is saying, I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like to have your friends leave you. I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to lose everything. I know what it's like to experience torture. I know what it's like to experience death. But what we see is, is that when our worldview expands, none of those things are the end of Jesus' story. The cross that we say is central is an empty cross. It is a cross that promises us resurrection and redemption and new life out of suffering. And so because of our stories, when our worldviews are expanded, when we remember, as Moses is helping the people do, we sit there and say, God is with us. And is God actually with us? Yes, because when I look at this narrow moment, I don't see where God is. When I look at the fullness of my life and our story as people of faith, God redeems and redeems and redeems. God's son has experienced pain. God redeems that story and brings life and resurrection from that. And so therefore, we are called to be people who trust and believe that just as God didn't bring the Israelites to the desert just to drop them and let them go. That was not God's plan. They go, they go forward from this point. Water keeps coming from rocks. Manna keeps coming from heaven to provide them their daily bread. That when we expand our viewpoint, we are aware of the fact that we can stand in faith in the midst of suffering. Because this will not be the end of our story either. So number one, we can be people who understand and believe that we can have hope. And hope doesn't mean plastic Christianity where we just smile and say everything's okay. You can have hope in the midst of tears. You can have hope in the midst of very real pain. But number one, we have hope because we believe our situation will change. We believe that redemption will happen. And so our eyes as followers of Jesus always need to be on the horizon for the next thing that God's going to do. Not just getting so focused and down that we just get lost and hopeless in the, in the immediate situation that we're in. Does that make sense? So number one, we're people who our stories remind us that God is with us because God's been with us and faithful before and he will be again. But the second thing, and this is the next thing that you see in this passage, is that one other thing can bring us hope from when we're in these times of suffering. Not just that our situation will change, but that actually in times of suffering and pain and hardship, that that's when we will be changed as well. 
Last week I was in Los Angeles with uh, a guy who preached here a few years ago named Todd Bolsinger. Uh, Todd wrote a book on leadership that uh, he worked with our session, our elders, uh, through some exercises called Canoeing the Mountains. And it sold really well, and he's uh, writing a second book right now um, for InterVarsity Press on leadership and how change happens in systems. How do churches change? How do companies change? How do individuals change? And what is leadership in the midst of that? And Todd's research has found uh, that there's two primary ways that people change. Two primary ways that people change. The first is that people change through relationships. Relationships change us. The people in our life change us. Um, but that secondly, the way that change happens is that change happens through hardship. The people don't want to go into the wilderness. That's not the choice that they're going to make when they leave slavery. They just want to move right into the promised land. But they are going to start a journey that we're seeing here where they're going to wander for years and years in the wilderness. And no one likes those moments. But when they do finally pass into the promised land after wandering in the wilderness, it's not just aimless wandering. It's in that time of hardship that they as a nation are changed and formed. The scripture passage we just read, they don't have a lot of hope. There's not a lot of leadership. There's not a sense of direction. When they cross into the promised land, there are people who are following God's command, whatever God tells them to do, because they've seen water come from rocks, they've seen manna come from heaven, and they are a different people when they enter in. The pain and the hardship of the wilderness changes them. That's where we're shaped and formed. And so part of us as Christians has to understand that, that where is God? Is God actually among us? Yes, we need to remember that through our stories and to have our, our worlds expanded. But secondly, it's not just that our situation will eventually change, but this is how you and I are shaped and formed. It's in walking through fire that we're refined, that we're changed. And so we also want to be asking that question of what might God want to be changing in us as we walk through that? That's, that's true not just of the story of the people of Israel, that's true of this church. This church in its over 50 years of history has been through different seasons. Some seasons were better than others. Some seasons in the life of this church may have felt like a wilderness time. No one chooses to go into that. But I would submit to you if you look at the over 50 years of history of this church, it's the wilderness times that are the most important. They shape and change the trajectory with which you're going to go. They mold and refine us in all different kinds of ways. It's wonderful to be at a point today where we welcome 50 new people in membership. That is a really cool and special thing. But what's really important spiritually is the wrestling that got us to the point that we're at today. It's in the wilderness that we're refined and shaped and formed. So we have hope because God's going to change our situation, but hope that God is going to change us. The first church I ever worked in um, uh, was where Beth and I, we were both working there when our oldest daughter was born, uh, Miriam. And um, for those of you who have had children, uh, you know that this is true. Uh, the, uh, uh, having a child, it changes marriage a lot. It's good, it's really good, but it's really different, right? Because there's a third person there all the time, right? It's not like for two hours and then they leave. They're always there. You wake up and they're there throughout the day. They're there asking for things. You go to bed at night, you're exhausted, and they're there. And you wake up, and it's a rinse and repeat. And it's good. It's a really, really good thing when that happens. But uh, that was a bit of a uh, speed bump for us in our, our marriage. 
Uh, Beth might have a different term for it. I'm going to use speed bump today. Uh, that, was a, that, was a, that was a time, that was a, a, a changing time. And so one of the things in that sort of hard time that I did is I went and spoke to a, a gentleman in our church who, when I looked at him as a husband and a father, he'd been married for over 40 years, uh, adult children, had grandchildren. I'm like, man, there's something I would like to be kind of like him. Not that I want to be like him in every way, but I, I'm struggling enough. I would like to go sit down with him and go, just tell me how you operate. Like, how does this function for you? Uh, because I'm kind of lost. And, and, and he and his wife, I met with them together. They did what, the right, what right people do when you go and ask them that question. If they're really healthy, they're like, do not ask us. We've got tons of issues. We've got tons of problems. Do not think our marriage has got this figured out. And, and that's good and important to hear. But it's also good for them to hear, yeah, but I see something in you that I would like to learn from. They had a marriage that seemed like a real partnership, but it was open and honest and sharing. They had uh, good relationships, it seemed like, with their three adult children. They, had great, they were great grandparents, which is a cool thing because they love their kids well enough and they love their grandkids well enough to be with them, but not to tell their children how to raise their grandchildren, which is a really important part of being a good grandparent. And they just kind of had these healthy understandings of this stuff. So I, um, I went and sat down with them, and finally they said, okay, well, if you want to know what shaped us, uh, the important part you need to know about us is that every year we celebrate two anniversaries. That's really, really important for you to understand. The first anniversary is the anniversary of our wedding day. The second anniversary that we celebrate took place about 20 years after we were married. After we were married, what led to the second anniversary was that we kind of had this life that we thought was exactly what we wanted. He started working in business and commercial real estate. She wanted to be a teacher. She was a teacher. She became the head of a department. She started working in uh, administration in school. He was uh, promoting up uh, his company ladder. They had a good lifestyle. They were able to move to a new house, and then they were a few years later able to move to a better house, and then a few years later they moved to a great house, and then a few years later they moved to a different house again. They were able to join a country club. Their children went to private school. They kind of had this sort of world that just worked for them and made sense, and they just thought that they had everything going. They were busy, and as he started uh, being promoted up, he started traveling more and more for his work, which some of us have to do, and that, that, that happens. But he was traveling more and more and more to the point that it was sort of the norm for him, and he didn't feel very present when he was at home. And one day, after about 20 years of marriage, his wife looked at him and said, I think our oldest daughter's not doing well. And he said, you don't know what you're talking about. Our oldest daughter's doing great. She's got a 4.0. She's on the tennis team. Everything's going really well. She's dating a guy that we like. You don't know what you're talking about. She goes, no, there's something going on with this. And he said, I disagree with you. And I'm going out of town again. And so he left. Came back into town. She said the same thing. And he said, you honestly are missing the boat here. She is great. It kept coming up more and more. And he started noticing a few things that she had said. And to make a long story short, what happened is, is in the months ahead, their oldest daughter was diagnosed with a very severe eating disorder that in the end almost took her life. He said, in hindsight, we should have seen it a lot earlier, but in the moment, you're kind of going, is this really what's happening? I don't know. Is this a fate? Like, I, I, I'm not 100% certain what's taking place in here. Um, and he said that it caused this, this, this real division. Well, when the immediate and the serious nature of her illness became known, she had to both go to counseling, they had to go to counseling together as a family, and they needed to start a treatment option that was a, a severe intervention. The day before their first meeting as a family, his CEO came to him and said, 
this deal that we've been working for a long time, it looks like it's gonna close, it's gonna close immediately, there's a deadline and I need you to go out of town tomorrow to be there in this meeting, it's the biggest deal our company has ever done. And he went. But what he told his wife is, I'll phone in. I'll phone in to the conference and we'll have the conversation there and I'll be a part of it. So he had the number where he was supposed to call the counselor's office so he could try to be present. But as they were in this meeting, and it's this massive deal and there were a lot of details, things started like getting uh, caught up and deadlines started being missed and questions started being asked. And in the end, the deal closed and everything worked out, but it took longer than they thought and he missed the phone call. This was before the age of cell phones, and so he went running outside after the meeting in his business suit, having closed a multi-million dollar deal, bonus that would set his family up for years to come, gets in the phone booth there, calls the number that he was given for this counselor, and the counselor picks up and says, um, uh, your family has left. They're not here anymore. And he said, and then the counselor asked me a question. She said, I know that you travel a lot. I understand that this is a reality in life, but your daughter is significantly ill, and I need to know for these family meetings going forward, will you be here or not? Because if not, if your schedule can change this quickly, then I need to just focus on working with your wife on this, because I need to know who's going to be here for these meetings when it shows up, and I just need you to be clear one way or the other. He said that he hung the phone up, and sitting there in his suit, he literally experienced the presence of the Lord saying to him, this is not what I want for your life. This is not what I want for your family. And sitting there, he broke down weeping in this business suit in a phone booth. And it was that day that he got on a plane and drove and flew back and walked into his house and said to his wife, we need to make some changes because I'm not gonna miss another one of these meetings again. And I looked at him, I said, and that's when everything got better. And he said, no, that's when everything got worse because I thought I would come back in and my daughter would all of a sudden start getting better because I was now here, but she kept getting worse. And it was there that I had to look at my boss thinking that he was gonna value me enough to allow me to have flexibility in my schedule and he didn't and I had to leave my company and take a demotion to a job that paid less than what I made before and we had to leave the club and we had to leave the neighborhood we were in and the kids had to change schools. It was then that I had to look at my wife and realize that in the 20 years we had been together, we had become two separate individuals living under the same roof who did not trust each other, and did not know each other, and didn't know if our marriage would make it, and didn't know if we wanted to make it anymore. But I had to face all of that because all of it was real and all of it was happening, and slowly, piece by piece, painful brick by painful brick, God remolded and shaped us in a new way. And he said, and I do not understand when people tell me, you know, this was a hard part, but I'm glad God gave it to me so that I can go through. He said, I am not glad for any of it. I am not glad for eating disorders. I am not glad for that, uh, that chapter in our family story. I am not glad for what I had to face about myself and our marriage. But anything that you see that came out uh, uh, that is a signal for you of what you would like your life to look like, it came from that moment. And so we celebrate two anniversaries every year. We don't forget that chapter. The first is our wedding day. The second is the day that I broke down in a phone booth. And when we go out that for our second anniversary, it's just me and my wife, and we tell that story again, and we usually cry, and then we start talking about the hardship that's in our life today, but in telling that story, we're reminded that the hardship we face today 
where we're going, where is God in this? Isn't the first time we face this, that God delivered us from that situation as he delivered the people from Israel. God changed me as a husband, as a man, as a father, as a friend, as an idea of what success is. And all of that came out of that moment. And we need to remember so that we don't make the mistake in our present hardship of thinking that God's not going to do it again. That's what Moses is doing here. He's giving the people a memory and saying, expand your view. God will be faithful to redeem and to resurrect in this. And your situation and suffering will not be the end of their story, but how you are today will change through this time. And some of that is God's grace to us. Is God actually with us in these times? Yes, he is. But it will not be easy. But may we be people who keep our eyes on the horizon for the dawn that will come, for the new day that will rise. And may we be filled with hope at the faithfulness of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be with us this day. Lead and guide us as we are people who know pain and hardship. But lead and guide us that we will see your presence and be changed forever. May we be people of hope this day in this world. And we pray for it in Christ's name. Amen.